0: makes sense, does it? In a severe test of affliction, they overflowed in a wealth of generosity. What is, what's going on here, right? Well, here we see the first use of the Greek word charis. It means grace. We see it in verse 1, the grace of God, the charis of God. And this word charis is going to be repeated many times throughout 2 Corinthians 8 and nine, ten times, in fact, we're going to see it. And what it's being used with a lot of nuance, as we're going to see, and it's highlighting how generosity and grace are just so tightly entwined, just tightly coupled. The grace of God was given to them. That is how, despite extreme poverty and in a severe test of affliction, they were able to give. God is divinely enabling them to do this, right? to give as an act of grace, this selfless act of faith. And so here we see right away our first perspective on generosity for tonight, Generosity is enabled by the grace of God, not what you have. Generosity is enabled by the grace of God, not what you have. There's no amount of wealth you need to amass before you can be a generous person, before you can give, because even in extreme poverty, the Macedonian church was able to give. Why? Because they were empowered by the grace of God. And we can do that, too. That's our first perspective. We're going to read on in 2 Corinthians 8, 3 through 5. For they gave according to to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So the church in Jerusalem, right? And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So here Paul is giving the church in Corinth more details on how the Macedonian churches gave. They gave beyond their means. So they gave self-sacrificially. They were in extreme poverty, as we saw, yet still they they gave above and beyond what would have been comfortable to them. Again, not born out of what they have, but because of the grace of God, enabling them to do that in faith. They also gave of their own accord. Paul didn't force them to give. They gave because they wanted to. In fact, we even see they were begging earnestly for the favor of getting to give to the church in Jerusalem. And guess what word favor is in the Greek? Karis, again, it's the same word. So in the minds of the Macedonians, it is a blessing for them to be able to give, to be generous, to serve the church in Jerusalem in this way. They had an opportunity to give. That is how they're viewing this. And here we see, I think, our second perspective. Perspective two is that generosity is a privilege. Being generous is a privilege. It is an honor for us. It is a grace for us to be able to give. And be generous. If you have the NIV, we're looking at the ESV tonight, but if you have the NIV, your version will literally say they begged for the privilege of being generous. Their perspective here is not that they have to give, like it's a chore or an inconvenience. Their perspective is that God graciously gave them this chance to give, to bless the church in Jerusalem. It was a joyful thing. Even though they were poor, in extreme poverty, not just poor, right? in a severe test of affliction, they give. They beg to give. And I think that is a pretty challenging perspective. You know, sometimes, you know, for myself, when an opportunity to give comes up, I'm, I'm not excited. I view it as an inconvenience. What is this going to cost me? Right? So I'm very challenged by this. Now, what drove that attitude in the Macedonian church? How were they able to do this? We'll look at verse 5. If we actually go back a slide, we could take a look at it. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And and then to us, it was their redemptive relationship with Jesus that allowed them to do this. And that, that's where this all came from. And then the following, Paul's spiritual leadership, that's what the to us means. And their giving flowed out of their relationship with Christ, out of the grace they themselves received from God. And then from seeing Paul's example, Paul was a generous man too, with his time, his talents, he generously gave his life up for the gospel. And so the Macedonian church trusted God with this act of giving. It was a blessing for them to be able to give. Like another interesting little detail we see in this passage, uh, the word there, taking part, is the Greek for uh, kononia, which if you remember from that and Brad's talk a couple weeks ago, that's commonly translated as fellowship. So they're having fellowship with the other believers in Jerusalem by supporting them in, in this time of need, despite their Macedonians' own extreme poverty. This is a way we can have fellowship together. It's a way that the body of Christ comes together. So let's go on in in, uh, verses 6 through 7. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Cars again. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So Paul, in light of the amazing generosity of the church in Macedonia, sends Titus to the Corinthians to continue collecting funds from them, the funds that they're gonna to send to Jerusalem. And Paul here is encouraging the Corinthians, hey, you're doing really well in a lot of different things, right, in your speech, your faith, your knowledge. Make sure you do well in generosity, too. Generosity matters as well. You ought to strive to be excellent in that, too. And again, we see the word charis twice here, both times grace. Uh, this time it's in the act of giving itself it is a grace. See, the generosity of the Corinthians and the Macedonians is going to extend the grace of God to the believers in Jerusalem. That's the idea. This whole rhythm of generosity is just totally entwined with the grace of God because we see first God, em- <clears throat> God empowering the Macedonians by his grace to give in extreme poverty with the right attitude right towards generosity such that God, through their giving, can extend his grace to people in Jerusalem. It's all the grace of God. And so Paul builds on that in the next couple of verses 8. And nine, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And here we see the heart, the heart of generosity. Because generosity is enabled by the grace of God. It is also a response to the grace of God. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Carus, again, this time to describe the character of Jesus. They know Jesus. These people had been genuinely changed by the grace of Jesus. As um, 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, they are new creations. They are denying themselves as Jesus commands in Luke 9.23 and 24, In extreme poverty they're giving above their means. As followers of Christ, they take Christ as their model for generosity. And what is Jesus' model? Well, he made himself poor so that others can become rich. How did Jesus make himself poor? And what does that mean? Well, think about it. You know, Jesus didn't have to come to earth. He was always the son of God, always enjoying the, the, the riches of heaven. He could have stayed in heaven. He didn't have to, to come. But he came to earth in human flesh and humility to, to serve us. That's what Philippians 2 is all about, right? Although he was equal to God, is equal to God, Jesus is God, he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He went from all the comfort and intimate fellowship in heaven to not having a place to rest his head, as Matthew 8.20 tells us. He suffered and died this torturous death on the cross for our sin to make the way of forgiveness for us so that we can be reconciled to God. He took the wrath of God that we all deserve for us. He didn't have to do that, but he did. Jesus gave everything, everything for us. And thus, by his poverty, by him doing this, giving up his life willingly, we can become rich. Not financially rich. This isn't the prosperity gospel, but we can be forgiven. We inherit salvation and all the blessing that comes with that life spent with God in fellowship. That is infinitely more valuable than anything else. As Romans 4 says, Thus is the man against whom the Lord will not count his Sin, you can have all the riches in the world, but without Jesus, you have nothing. You have nothing. But through Jesus' generosity, we become spiritually rich. And so Paul here is drawing the connection for the church in Corinth. This is your model. This is the model of generosity. and is a response to the amazing grace, the charis of Jesus. And so we get our third, uh, third perspective. Generosity is the proper response to the grace of God in our lives. It's the only thing that makes sense. Jesus gave us everything. So in light of that, we can give too. Surely we can give too. I think we also get another perspective in this passage. Perspective four, true generosity is self-sacrificial. By his poverty, it wasn't by him becoming slightly less rich that we could become slightly less poor as no. By his poverty, we become rich. Jesus' sacrifice, that's the model that we're given in 2 Corinthians 8. The passage goes on in verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have." So Paul is essentially telling them, hey, give. (laughs) Right? They started this collection a year ago. They, They readily desire to give. So Paul is saying, hey, take that desire and put it into action. Don't just have the desire to be generous, but be generous. Do it. Give. Generosity is not just good intentions or thinking kind thoughts, it is, it is action, it's actually us self-sacrificially giving. And then we go on in verse 12. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So here what Paul is doing, he's laying out that generosity is something that everyone participates in. Everyone participates in this. The idea is not just that richer people give and and poorer people receive. The idea is that everyone is giving self-sacrificially. Everyone is giving out of what they have based on what God has given them. And to highlight that, there's a quote there from Exodus, Chapter 16, and, and the, the story of the manna, you probably remember from Exodus that after Israel es- escapes Egypt, God miraculously provided for them in the wilderness by giving them literally bread from heaven, this manna. So every morning the Israelites would go and collect, and everyone had enough, because those who gathered more than enough would give to those who didn't take enough. So everyone was provided for by the, by the miraculous provision of God, And that is what Paul is saying Christian fellowship and Christian community ought to look like. God, in his grace, has provided for all of us in different ways. Some have a little more, some have a little less. And that's just how God does it, and he gets the right to do it as God. But then we come together in community, together as believers, and we provide for each other. In fellowship, Right? we share our provision that God has given us with each other. And that's not just money. I think when we think giving, we, we first think money, which I think makes a ton of sense. But it's with our skills, our resources, being generous with our time. Being a generous servant, like Romano talked about last week, right? there are many things that God has given us that we can be generous with, that we can bless others with, such that in Christian community, the ideal is that no, one, no one's left out. Right? Just like in the wilderness, none of the Israelites were left out. No one had lack. No one had any left over. That's the picture. By God's grace, empowering us to be generous to each other, all are provided for. And so That brings us to our fifth perspective. Generosity is something we all participate in. It's something we all participate in. We all have a role to play. It's not just a couple people pulling alone. We pull together in being generous. And those are five perspectives on generosity that this first part of our passage tonight gives us 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, what do we actually do with these perspectives? How do we move them from our brain into thinking about being generous to actually becoming generous people, having a lifelong habit, a rhythm, right, of being generous in our? Lives. Well, I'm going to rearrange the order a little bit, but first, if generosity is the proper response to the grace of God in our lives, we need to get to know Jesus, right? We need to get to know the grace of God. In order to give like Jesus, we need to experience and surrender to his grace. You know, and for some, if, if you've never done this, put your trust in Jesus for the first time. Turn from your sin and seek his forgiveness. Follow him as the Lord of your life. His way of life is better, so trust and you can trust him for everything. For others, if you struggle with generosity and find yourselves clinging onto your money, your time, resources, you know, look to Jesus. Remember what he has done for you. Remember his grace, what he has modeled for us. He gave everything for you by his poverty. He made you rich, right? provided this way for forgiveness to be reconciled to him. Right? Generosity is deeply entwined with the grace of God, and we can't forget that. We need to remember that. So if you're struggling with generosity, you know, take some time to reflect on that. Because if you don't know his grace and remind yourself of it, you're really going to struggle to be truly generous. You're really going to struggle to be generous from the heart. So one, get to know Christ. Second, if generosity is enabled by the grace of God, not what you have, that means give now. Give now. Everyone has in this room has the ability to give. Because it's not based on what you have. It's based on the grace of God. Even in poverty, you can still be generous with your money, your resources, your time, your talents. So start giving now, because you have something to be generous with. Um, There's a great warning, I think, in in Luke 16.10 that warns us against procrastination in being generous. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you're waiting to be generous until you have more, you're just deceiving yourself. You're, You're not gonna be generous when you have more because you're not being faithful with the little that you have right now. If you have that thought, well, I'll be able to start giving financially when I have a full-time job, or I'll be able to serve more at church after college when I have more time, you're you're deceiving yourself. This is about the heart. It's a heart issue. It's not a resource issue. If you're not generous with what you have now, you will not be generous later. So even if it seems like a small amount, you're building a habit. You're, you're, You're working on your heart. You're giving God an opportunity to work on your heart. You're developing the heart of a giver. So give now. Everyone has the ability in here to do that right now. Third, if generosity is self-sacrificial, give first. You prioritize generosity in your life. You don't take care of our we don't take care of ourselves first and give out of the leftovers. Right? We model Jesus. Jesus put the needs of others first in his life as a servant. By his poverty, he made you rich. Again, we tend to think it's Well, by me becoming slightly less rich, which is the presupposition that I need to be rich first, I could just make you slightly less poor, but that's not what we see Jesus do. That's not our model. That's not what we see the Macedonians do. That's not how they put the model into practice, right? They made themselves poor to make others rich. That is what they did. And so we're called to do the same. We prioritize generosity in our life. We do it first. Before you look to bless yourself, look to bless other people. Now, in order to do this, you need to trust God. You know, trust that God will provide for you. But God is faithful. He does provide. He did in Macedonia. He did in Jerusalem. He will provide. So give. First, in college, I think I did a a really bad job of this financially. I deceived myself. I I believed, or I didn't believe the the truth of Luke 16.10. You know, I had student debt, so I was just trying to save as much as I could for myself. And I just told myself, well, I I just don't have anything to give. But as I thought about it later and reflected on it, there are definitely areas that I could have, sacrifice. I ate out out a lot. You know, I could have skipped a couple meals to have a little more to give instead of blessing myself. Um, And as a result, I I think I missed out on some of the things that God had for me um, because of that. I think I did a better job in college of being generous with my time, even when I did have little. um, You know, even in the midst of midterms, I remember what that was like um, when it's just so easy just to study and and lock yourself away and, and focus on yourself first I really did try to make the best use of my time and and meet with other people, serve at challenge, and I had to trust God for that. But I saw that he provided me the grace to get done what I needed to get done as I prioritized generosity so he can do the same for you. Give first. We prioritize this. Give first. Fourth, if generosity is a privilege, give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. If you're only giving because you heard some guy at Challenge talk about it and you feel guilty, that's not going to last. Right? That's not going to last. I've been there. I've been at a talk, a challenge, and felt guilty, and it didn't last. Sure, you may give a bit, and God can use that for sure, but we want to develop rhythms here. Right? Where, where giving is something you're doing your whole life, willingly, cheerfully. Right? Where decades later, you're still giving cheerfully from your heart whenever you can. Why? Because you realize it is an honor to give, to serve Jesus. It is an honor to bless other people. It is the favor of God. The verse says that you get to do that. So, you know, examine your heart and give for the right reasons. Giving is not about you. It's not to look good, it's not to feel good about yourself, it is about the grace of God and extending it to others. And that is a great privilege that we get to partake in as believers, that we get to extend the grace that God has given us to others. And you know what? If you're if you're finding yourself struggling here, pray. I struggle here a lot. Giving is tough for me. Um, I'm not speaking out of strength here. Um, I struggle here a lot, especially with money. Um, it can be an idol in my life. And so I pray often, God, would you make me a giver like you? Would you give me a heart like you to give? Help me to give cheerfully. And you know what? He has helped me there. And he's given me many opportunities to put into practice and give. And I think I've grown in that. So you can too. So pray if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling to give cheerfully. And then the last perspective if generosity is something we all participate in. Give together. Give together. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. I think this is the third time in a row we've seen this verse. Um, It puts it like this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love how this verse just talks about the different ways that we can be generous. Right? Everyone here has something you can contribute. Every single person here has been given something by God, not for yourself, but to extend it to others. And so when we come together, just like with the the manna and the Israelites, everyone is provided for. All the needs are met in the community because we work together. So instead of thinking like a consumer, you know, I go to challenge because of what it gives to me. I go to church for what I get out of it. Think like a giver. How can you contribute to the communities you're a part of? How can you contribute to challenge? We have plenty of service teams that could use your help and use your talents and gifts that God has given you. How can you be a contributor to your church, even with the limited time you have in college? How can you contribute there? You know, for me in college, what this looked like, I joined the setup team and I led the worship team at Challenge. And you know what? Being able to pull off Challenge every week was, was a big blessing in my life. It was a sacrifice, for sure. Um, but it was really fun to just be a part of that and give with the different gifts and, and time, even, that God had given Me, then after that, I joined the setup team at church while I was still in college, because I realized, hey, I'm a part of that community too, and I want to contribute. I want to give together, right? I want to participate in this. And that, that was a sacrifice too. This was back when CIV was in Diamond Bar, so we had to drive really early in the morning and got back really late in the afternoon. It was like a 40 minute, one hour drive, even on Sunday. But that time was really fulfilling, because instead of just showing up, I was participating in the fellowship of the group. I was giving together. So I challenge you to do the same. Don't be a consumer, be a contributor. Participate. give. Together is the idea here. So to summarize, we get to know Jesus first. This all flows from Jesus, the grace of God, right? And that's where you have to start. Then you can give now. You give first, you give cheerfully, and you give together. And that's how we can start applying these perspectives with some very, I think, tangible steps and tangible actions so it's not just a thought in our head or desire to be generous, but it actually is us becoming generous. And what do you think would happen in your life and the life of others if you started doing this? What do you think would happen if you start putting these perspectives into action, if we started giving like Jesus does with him as our model? And not just once or twice on a guilt trip, because that's not going to last, but as a daily rhythm of life for the long haul, cheerfully giving over the long haul. Well, let's read on in 2 Corinthians, and we'll see what Paul says. So we left off in 2 Corinthians 8.16, and from 8.16 through 9.5, we're not going to read it. Paul kind of goes over some administrative stuff here. Just going to cover it at a high level so we get the full picture of the two chapters. But Paul says he's going to send Titus and these two other believers to go collect the money. He doesn't give the names of the two other believers, but he calls them, one, the brother who is famous among all the churches for the preaching of the gospel. And the other one is our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many manners. And Paul describes in uh, 2 Corinthians 8.21 that this is because he wants to be honorable before God and man. The, The idea is that Paul is expecting a large sum of money, they don't have Venmo. You can't do a C-Turuk at this time. Um, they're literally getting physical coins, right? Um, so it would be really easy for Paul to embezzle that. So Paul is sending these, these outstanding guys to, to go collect it to make sure that it actually gets to Jerusalem. And this is tangential, I think, to our, to our point tonight, but I think there's some good advice there. Give to you know, reputable source, sources, sources that are going to be honorable with the, the things that you're giving and use that to glorify God, because that's the point, is to glorify God, not, not using that to benefit themselves. But then we get to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7, and here Paul starts to talk about the benefits and what happens as we become generous, and we actually put this into practice in our lives. So uh, chapter 9, verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The more you sow, the more you reap. That's the idea. That's an agricultural metaphor. Just like if you plant more seeds, you get more crop later, so it is with generosity. The more you are generous, the more you reap in return. And here, I think, is where people maybe get a little sideways. Because if you listen to prosperity theology teachers, they love this verse. Because to them, this means, oh, OK. If I, uh, Reaping bountifully means I get more money later. That's the idea. Right? It's self-focused. Give $1,000 now, God gives you $10,000 later somehow. So give. It's an investment in yourself, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. The reaping here is of a spiritual nature. It's treasure in heaven, like uh, Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. You develop a giver's heart. You become more like Jesus because Jesus himself is a giver. Right? That's the idea. God wants to transform your heart to be like his. God loves a cheerful giver because he is a cheerful giver. Jesus gave us everything, and God wants you to be like that. Too. he wants to transform your heart, mold your character. And so Paul says here, hey, if you don't want to give, don't give, right? Not reluctantly. If someone's forcing you and you just feel guilty, don't give, not under compulsion. Don't give. God's desire for you is to give cheerfully, freely, not to check a box. But if you do give with a cheerful heart, there is great benefit. Many are blessed, including yourself, because you are developing the heart of Christ. And God is working that in you by his Spirit. And God gives us this really cool promise, I think, to the cheerful givers in the next couple of verses. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, caros again, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see, God owns everything. God owns everything. All the money, all the resources, everything you have is God's. You're a steward of it. God has given it to you to be responsible with, but it's God's. He owns everything. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. He supplies everything. What God promises here is if you are a cheerful Giver, if you are generous from the heart, get this rhythm into your life, he will multiply your seed for sowing. He will give you more to be generous with. As a good steward, he will give you more to steward after. And he will increase the harvest of your righteousness, this spiritual treasure. You develop the heart of a giver. You become more like Jesus. God will provide for you such that you can be as generous as you want, as far as your faith will take you. He doesn't impede us from being generous. He enables it. He makes all grace, again, caris, abound to us. He will enrich us in every way. Why? Not to bless ourselves. Not for ourselves. But he enriches us to be generous to others. Enriches us in every way to be generous in every way. He graciously gives us things in life so that we can extend his grace to others. And the result is the last verses in 2 Corinthians 9. So again, starting love one more time. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous, generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Will they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You see, as we bless others, as we are generous, as we give, it's not only about supplying the needs of other people. It is about that. It is about that. But it also results in God being glorified, overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Why? Because generosity is entwined with the grace of God. The believers in Jerusalem who are about to receive this gift will glorify God all the more because they know That's only because of the grace of God that they're getting this, It's only because of his grace. His grace enabled it. And so Paul ends the passage with this just heartfelt thank you to the amazing grace of God, the source of all of this, his inexpressible gift of Jesus Christ and and the grace that enables us to be generous. And we see Karos one more time. It's not the word gift in verse 15. You may expect it's gift, that's what I thought, but this time it's the word thanks. Paul's blessing God for what he has given. Grace be to God, praise be to God for his inexpressible gift and giving us the means to be generous people and become more like Jesus, that is a privilege we get in our lives. And that's the picture of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. That's the picture of the rhythm of generosity. That's what can happen if you take this seriously and put this into practice, if we all do that, because we all give together, right? As we develop the rhythm of generosity in our lives by putting these perspectives into action, not just thinking them, but putting them into action, God more... And more gives us resources and opportunities to be generous so that our generosity grows more and more. Our hearts become more like Christ. That's the idea. Not for our benefit, not for our glory, but so that everyone is provided for. There is no lack in everyone. Turn their praise to Jesus, the source of all things, God himself, the source of grace. And he, as a result, is magnified, which is how it should be in the first place. So let's... Let's do it, let's get after it. Let's be generous, let's follow Jesus and, and remember this, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that um, though he was raised yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. So let us like to do the same. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for the, uh, the truth of this passage uh, that we who come with nothing are made rich by his sacrifice. Um, there's a, thank you so much for that, God. I pray that as a result of that, we would become, uh, develop the hearts of generosity, that you would develop that in us by your grace, Lord. So would you just make, bring bring us opportunities this week and in the coming days to be generous with our finances, with our time, with our talents, with our words even. Lord, I pray that you would just be at work in our hearts. And, You know very well how I struggle with this, and I'm sure there are other people here who do that too. So pray that you would just help us, God. We know this is enabled by your grace and your grace alone. So we pray for your grace, and we thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much that you are generous, that you are a giver. Help us be the same. In your name, amen. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Eric. Would you all stand as we continue to worship? Just cause of your grace, Jesus. We see you. You are the generous giver, your mercy overflows. Your blessing is a river, on and on and on it goes. You are in danger. This fountain, you're feeling of my life, my heart must sing your praises, Jesus, you be glorified. Your me meets us every day Your love will never turn away Jesus, we see you You are the generous giver Your mercy overflows Your blessing is a river On and on you feeling of my life my heart was seeing your prayer. than anything. You are in this fountain, you're filling up my life. My heart must sing your praises, Jesus, you be glorified. into